This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that Australia has never come to terms with what was done to Indigenous people following European arrival. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 123 for Saturday 4th of April 2020. I'm Jeremy Sear, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to the country, what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it, uh, whilst stuck in our homes. Tonight's guest host is returning guest host, uh, my beloved wife, Denise Pirgo. Welcome back. Hello. I haven't seen you for, for ages. Right. What, what have you been It's not like we're totally stuck in the same house at the moment. And... Oh, our, my big adventures have been walking around the block with an almost three-year-old collecting leaves. So many lovely leaves just stick up in the window. There are, there are, but that's pretty much been the only time we've, you know, busted out of the compound. Well, I presume you went out there to buy yourself some jigsaw puzzles. No, no, I, I did not buy jigsaw puzzles. But they're actually. essential! But what we've said today is you should be only going out to shop for things that you actually need and you should be doing it on an irregular basis. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, our kids are at home now, um, as are most kids. And uh, Jenny went out yesterday and bought them a whole bunch of jigsaw puzzles. I can assure you over the next few months we're going to consider those jigsaw puzzles absolutely essential. I really feel like I've made some bad life choices. The other day I went out to go get the things that I had thought were essential. I thought I went to the pharmacy for medication and the grocery store for food. And I didn't pick up the jigsaw puzzles that I saw on display. What was I thinking? You've let your entire family down. Huh. I think part of the problem we've had, we, there's obviously been an issue where we've had to keep escalating the steps because the previous steps aren't being followed. And I think it's been pretty clear that a big part of that has been mixed messaging. And this is a pretty good example of that. When the Mor- the Prime Minister doesn't know what like an essential item is and he thinks jigsaw... And he's saying, that is, well, that's his example too. Like this is, that was in a news conference where he's like, you know, I'll give you an example of an essential thing. And that was the best example he could think yeah. of. Yeah, oh God. But he also did it, does it with workers themselves. Like the very question of who is an essential worker? Mm. Well, this is his explanation. Now, if you ask me, who's an essential worker? Someone who has a job. Everyone who has a job in this economy is an essential worker. Every single job that is being done in our economy with these severe restrictions that is taking place is essential. It's an interesting catch-22 of essential workers. If you have a job, you're an essential worker and you need to stay in your job. But if you can work from home or have been let go or one of these industries that we've shut down because we don't want you working, then you're not an essential worker. But you're also an essential worker because you have a job. Yes, and you're an essential worker if you are the one bringing money into your family, because he, he says that. So I think he's trying to say that the essential workers are the people who have to go out of the house, uh, and though the only people who should be going out of the house are the essential workers. Who are the essential workers? They're the people who have to go outside their house. It's like he, he's afraid to, deti- to make any... You know what? It's pretty much classic modern politician. They don't want to draw a line yeah. anywhere in case it comes back to bite them. So he's just like trying to be as vague as possible. And that really is classic Morrison. Like he just says things that have no meaning and he leaves it to other people to actually define things. The same with all of his original measures. Uh, when well, he was questioned on them, it was always, I'm just following the medical advice. And, yeah. and referring it back to someone else. Decent medical advice. He's following the chief medical officer who's not an, uh, um, an infectious diseases person. Exactly. And I always find interesting, even in that press conference, I think that was a similar press conference to the one he was talking about hairdressers. About at that time, you know, all of these personal services were shut down, like uh, manicurists and all of these things. But if you're a hairdresser or a barber, you could stay open. It's also kind of this classic smart-arsy Morrison thing too, because he's being, he's, if you're asked... What do you mean by an essential worker? And you redefine it in such a way like, I think everyone with a job is an essential worker. It's like they're having a go, how dare you ask me to actually define something and be clear about what I mean. 
you must not think, you know, I'll have a go back. Because it's kind of an implied attack on the questioner being there. Like, what, you don't think that people who, you know, that every job is essential? But every job is essential. But that wasn't the point of the question, Morrison. No. The point was when you're talking about which jobs should be continuing outside the house and which ones need to be shut down, that's the question you're being asked in this context. Being well, a smartass about it and being like, every job's essential is unhelpful in the really extreme. Is. It's... I have a few friends who said that they've watched a lot of his early press conferences, but they've walked away from every single one of them more confused than they were before they started. He can't speak straight about something. I mean, the other thing we saw was, you know, with the Ruby Princess thing where there's this back and forth between the uh, Liberal Party in New South Wales and the Liberal Party in the federal government um, about whose fault it is that they let, what, I think there's like 400 cases of coronavirus come off that ship. Mm. And, I mean, the, the obvious retort... Uh, is, you know, regardless between the two sections, the, the simple fact is that Australian Border Force have made this huge thing about how they're keeping our borders safe. Yeah. Not not just the borders above Northern Northern Territory, but the borders of Australia, yep. which New South Wales is a part. They are a federal government um, entity. They don't, certainly don't let the states tell them what to do. They override the states. Mm. So why exactly they can they don't seem to th- think that they have to take responsibility for a specific type of vessel for which they've made... Uh, their entire powers depend. Like their, their whole well, thing has been about how we stop boats, which a they don't. They keep coming. They just drag them back out to sea. B um, it's a horrible thing to do to be in, stopping refugees arriving in the first place. But fundamentally, even if you thought the boats were, this is a boat that should have been quarantined. Well, and but you see, failed. the only people, the only brown people on the boat were the staff. Yes, but if you're pretending that you weren't racist, <laughs> but their line that they weren't that they that they don't accept that they they apply their. Um, approach to boats in a racist fashion. Yeah, exactly. How do they explain that? And if it, what I was going to say is, in terms of scumo, like just reverting to type, there are two other actually big reversions to types. So there are three things that are, I would argue are characteristics of scumo that are unhelpful at the moment. One is his aversion to being clear and, and, and forthright about things, such yeah. as we've just talked about, you know, what, what's an essential task to leave the house? What's an essential worker? He can't even be clear about that. The other one is you can't trust him when he's being when, when you're asking point blank questions about things like um, the uh, is the prime minister in the country? Yes, he is. No, he's in Hawaii. But like, um, did that... he ask for Houston to go to the White House? No. Yes, he did. You know, all those things he can't answer. Is are your children at school? Yes. Oh, sorry, they're enrolled. Yeah. That's all. He's always dodgy with the questions. Yes. So when they're things like there's there's a conspiracy theory, which is that there was some connections with Alex Hawke and other people in the ministry with some of the people who were on the boat, the Ruby Princess, mm-hmm. and that there was some connection between that and them people were just being let off to wander off. Uh, now that's a, that's an untested theory, but but the problem is that when they deny it now, it's very hard to believe them. Oh, because it's hard so... to believe him with anything he says because of that. But, but that's the thing. He lies about the small things. And so you can't trust him on the big things. No. And the third fundamental scummer characteristic that I think is really causing think... a problem at the moment. So there's can't tell can't tell the truth, can't be clear about what he's doing. And the third thing, and this this is the worrying thing, is that when he does finally announce a measure, when he announces something, you know, we're going to be increasing the welfare here. We're going to be doing something, paying, making a payment to help subsidise people's jobs and things. We're going to be covering childcare. Mm. You can't take those things on face value, and the and the, the prime example that's led us here before these before this crisis is of course the bushfire crisis where he was doing that. Oh yeah, okay, volunteer firefighters will be able to they'll be subsidised if they have to take time off their work, and then the restrictions on that were so ludicrous yeah. that they barely applied to anyone. They did, and the people had already hit the cap, and, and yeah. yeah, so people are out there. And he's, he makes the announcement in such a way that it sounds like he's actually looking after the people. And if people owned farms or, like, ran their own, which a lot of uh, volunteer firefighters really do, they had to actually physically prove that they'd lost the income rather than just say that, like, I'm a farmer. But also, they had to do a farm. whole bunch of days unpaid from their work before they qualified. Yeah. And, then it was and only during their shift hours. Anyway, that's beside yeah, the that, point. There were a whole lot of things about that that were chunky. So, with the new things he's announced, the increase to social security payments, so trying to put something back in the social safety mm-hmm. net they've so badly cut down, um, trying to put something back for to keep people in work, to, sub, to keep those jobs going, uh, and the childcare thing. So these are three big things that sound good on the surface, but it's really hard to hear them and not be like, uh, I want to see the detail. I'm pretty sure that the shoe, the, the other shoe is going to drop. Well, the other shoe is dropping a bit with the childcare situation. To start with. So let's... let's you know, I'm not 100% certain what the limitations are, although there are some limitations on the, child, on the Centrelink one. 
but we'll get to Stuart Robertson, the fact that people can't act. It's all very well to announce it. But you can't even access, access the system. But we'll come back to that. But let's do childcare first. So what's the story? So what's he announced? Um, where so is it falling down? Basically, there's going to be free childcare, and the payments are going to go directly to the childcare. So he's announced free he's childcare. He's announced free childcare starting <laughs> this, this coming week. So um, who's it for? It's for... It's for anyone. Okay, so everybody, any, anyone who... They've asked to... people to prioritize anyone who's an essential worker... But in this case, they don't actually mean anyone working as an essential worker. Uh, the idea is anyone working outside their home, healthcare workers, uh, people working in grocery stores or things where you have to actually be face to face. They've asked to prioritize people, prioritize people from high risk uh, situations or low income situations where they, they need to maintain the childcare and uh, other you know priority situations like that. But that anyone can can access this. The issue is what the childcare is going to be getting is 50 percent of the funding for their costs, their revenue, or 50% of the service cap, whichever is lower. And for a lot of places, they're going to be losing like 60-70% of their income. Don't they also help? They get the JobKeeper They'll be payment? getting the JobKeeper payment, but for that, their staff. So for their staff. It... So, so that should that theoretically should balance it out. But this, but the free childcare starts this week. The JobKeeper payment is expected to start mid-May. Yeah, what are the weird delays? So, like, so the so increase this, to Centrelink is also delayed off to like... So there's this massive gap, right? This ma- there's this massive gap where... So for six weeks, and especially if people run family daycares, like family daycares will be getting this too, but they won't get the qualify for the JobKeeper payment till May. They probably don't have massive savings buffers. You know, people running a family daycare for three, four families. Um, a couple of daycare centers are running into issues. Places like Good Start Learning, which owns 665 daycares across Australia, they technically make more per year than the, like they technically have more, rev, like not more about revenue, more business transactions per year than is qualified. So they theoretically don't qualify for the JobKeeper payment. There's a lot of casual staff who work in uh, daycares and they haven't always been there a year. And interestingly, New South Wales has a fun thing in that uh, the majority of daycare early childhood education providers in New South Wales are council run and JobKeeper payments don't qualify for councils okay because councils are considered state employees and they're considered government employees so idea so basically the council will have to find the money to subsidize that so there yeah which councils are rolling in it right um well yeah okay so now these these sort of things you could announce a plan in good faith and then have these problems arise that you you know because you there's when things are being done quickly as they are during mm. a crisis yeah um, you may not think through all they may they, they, these sorts of things might not have um, become clear until later yeah the problem is it's really hard to have faith that this government will do do deal with those in good faith given how how half-assedly it does things yeah. and how you really need a government who will simply say look bottom line is we're going to be working to make sure that childcare centers aren't closing yeah, um, you can trust that we will we'll be fine. We'll be doing that. Yeah, and if they had the runs on the board, if they had credibility on that, then you know the, the people would be able to stay open, and knowing that the government would, would mm. sort it. But they don't have that. They they have the, the runs they have on the board are of them being shonky. You know, they make the big announcement, yep. and then don't follow through. And there's always and. and the, the news cycles moved on. They got the, the announcement out there. They looked like they were doing something, and then it never gets sorted. Mm. It, yeah, and it doesn't get sorted. And with the Centrelink thing, so they announced that they were going to be making a payment because obviously the, the uh, number of people who, first of all, they've, they've, the JobKeeper thing they announced so late that a bunch of people were already being fired, so that wasn't very helpful. And when people were all being fired, the government did announce that they were going to be increasing safety net, but not f- not for weeks and weeks. I think it's um, later this month now. So there's an extension, there's a gap before people can get it, but they have to apply for it. Uh, at least now it's going to be backdated, uh, which is a thing that should always have been the case. It shouldn't be need a special announcement. The idea that Centrelink, mm. prior to this happening, Centrelink had an incentive to take as long as possible to process claims because they don't. They the, this government stopped backdating them, so mm. you can apply. And the, the Centrelink's like, well, you know, the longer we take, the less we have to pay you. I guess eventually we'll have to process it, but yeah. we're in no hurry. Anyway, now they have to backdate them. But the problem is that they made they announced all this. After they've run Centrelink down into the ground, and they've outsourced and, a heap of stuff, and and now and then so you had these ridiculous queues of people in a pandemic who shouldn't be near each other, people yeah. being queue, having to queue up, and the government saying go home and do it on the internet, 
And then some of these people might not have internet at home too. Like you think of this thing, a even if you can get onto the website, which there's queues in the so website. Let, let's get to internet in general okay. as a, as an essential service because I also want to talk about Rudd and Crumbly <laughs> having their little back and forth at the, this week. Because um, yeah, Kevin Rudd has been very much. Wouldn't it be nice if we had my fibers, to, my proper fiber yeah. NBN that I was yeah, um, rather than this you know chaotic schmozzle that that people are going oh. Now we all need our internet. Maybe we should slow down uh, streaming services. Yeah, I don't think they asked Foxtel to do that. Um, but we get into that internet aspect. But simply the internet as it, as it applies to Centrelink, the website crashed. You couldn't access it for an extended period of time. And of course it was going to happen. Like they had increased it. The, the number of people who could be on it to 55,000 or something. Mm. They'd increased that, which was a, you know, a nice start, but not in any way sufficient for the hundreds of thousands of people who were trying to get on. And the idea that they didn't anticipate that that was going to happen mm. and they didn't have anything in place to increase that capacity and it caught them by surprise to the point where the minister, Stuart Robert, you know, the guy with the... How much was his internet bill he tried... His home internet he tried to charge the taxpayer for? Oh, a preposterous amount. Like, like six, seven, eight thousand dollars Yeah, like that. it's... He's also the guy, the, um, I, I got a whole lot of Rolex, I think it was, from China and then gave them off to ministers and things. Amazing, the government, like, he's scandal-proof, apparently. Roberts, he's still there. He's still the minister in charge of this stuff. Mystifying. Anyway, he claimed it was a hack. Uh, we've been preparing for a large influx of uh, Australians who haven't yet used Centrelink services before. Uh, over the weekend, we took our number of users from MyGov from an average 6,000 concurrent users to what is now 55,000 concurrent users. We've put a tenfold increase on our digital channels over the weekend in preparation. Unfortunately, this morning, we also suffered a distributed denial of service attack on our main channels, which also highlights uh, that other threats still abound. We suffered a significant distributed denial of service attack this morning, that's correct. Uh, we don't attribute in terms of where attacks come from. It actually can be both. Distributed denial of service is designed to actually flood uh, your entrance point, your routers if you like, with so much traffic that other users can't get in. There is significant numbers of uh, or sort of significant systems we have in place to knock that off whilst allowing users to have access at the same time. So absolutely, you can have concurrent users and defeat a denial of service attack. Will, will national security services be investigating the source of this attack? We run one of the largest cyber operations centres uh, within Services Australia in line with Home Affairs and the ASD and we always work collaboratively. He claimed it was a hack? Oh, no, there was a denial of service attack on the website. Yeah. Well, you know, there was suddenly this huge amount of traffic that came in. Must be hackers. Couldn't it be? After we announced that unemployed people needed to go on the website and there was and a massive register. increase of un yeah. unemployed people, suddenly there was an increase in people. Must be hackers. Mm. And then he's like, ah, oh, yeah, no, that wasn't true. With all of the data uh, that uh, the 98 or 95,000 users gave rise to a very strained performance because of the high number of usage and that caused the outage. The DDoS alarms uh, show no evidence of a specific attack today. I didn't think I'd have to prepare for 100,000 concurrent users. Uh, again, my bad, not realising that the sheer scale of the decision on Sunday night by the national leaders. My bad. Yeah. Wasn't actually hackers, it was just the volume on the website. My bad. Just shameless. But yeah, that's another example of the government. The point about settling was, yeah, we need a safety net. We yes. need people to be able to eat and so forth. And this is the point at which we saw that, that, that first of all, there's huge holes that they've been cutting in it. Yes. And then they're like, but we're going to fix that now. But they didn't think it through and do it properly. Well, and there was another interesting article I saw, which was talking about how people in the NDIS, um, with some of the increased payments temporarily to Centrelink, some people on Centrelink will be getting more than people in the NDIS, and people have been contacting their NDIS providers saying, should I switch back to the job seeker payment? Even though that would mean getting off the NDIS and having to re-register for it and go through that whole process over again in six months when the payment went down again, so that there needs to be some sort of balancing or acknowledgement that people on other pensions and other support also need like, assistance right now. A safety net needs to be something that you know is there and can rely on. And what is increasingly obvious is that the holes that they've cut in it actually apply to all of us. Mm. Like, it's not... Yes, admittedly, we weren't falling down and, and landing on the safety net 
there were people who were already doing that, and we were the people who weren't were standing up there and being like, well, you know, as long as I hold on tight, I'll never have to worry about that safety. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter how many holes they've cut in it. And then suddenly people are falling into it, and they're like, oh, shit, no, I'd like that safety net to be there. And the Libs are still trying to make this distinction between good unemployed people, oh. as in the people who've just lost it because of the virus. Drives me and, mad. And... You know, the undeserving ones who were suffering under it before. Yeah, if they could find a way to coordinate it off so that people already on the job seeker payment or New Start were not therefore eligible for any of these. Yeah, only if you lost your job after this date. But because, you know, but it's, even... it's your fault if you lose your job because your company outsources your job. Or any reason why a company might mm. sack workers to make more profits or whatever, that, that's your fault. But if it's because of the virus. Then, then you're a good person. Like, what? That but, makes no sense. No, no, no. But on the flip side of that, the job keeper payment has a lot of weird loopholes as well. Well, for, yeah, first of all, it goes to the employer, not to the employee. Not, not directly to the employee. Um, And there's been a lot of, you know, some people, they were advising that maybe you should just hold on to that money. Though apparently the ATO will be tracking you and ensure that you pay these people. You pay the people what you're supposed to. But there's all sorts of things. Like, you have to have been employed for a year as of March 1st. Yeah, why not? So a lot of people, especially when you look in things like cafes and restaurants and and service industry jobs, people move around a lot. Um, There's a lot of casual employees. You might work somewhere for six months and you might get another job and work somewhere for a year. Well, the limitations are, and and it's got to be by a certain date. So you can't even have a situation. Like if the point was to keep employment going. Yeah. Those limitations are point are, are completely contrary to that. Yeah. So the only reason to add those limitations is to save money. Yes. But the saving money at the expense of all those jobs that have been for less than twelve months. Yep. You're saving money at the expense less of twelve people. months as of March first. That's right. And you're you're saving that money at the expense of people who were about to get a job, yeah. who are just starting a job. Yeah. Like, um, if you if you were on the cusp of getting a job and that job has now been thrown into um, some doubt because of the current pandemic situation. Mm-hmm. Presumably the government wants that job to go ahead, would like people to be locked in so that employment continues. That's the whole point of the job keeper payment. Yeah. But that limitation means that it doesn't apply and so that doesn't happen and people don't get those jobs. Like the whole even, line... even people who are full-time employees who aren't just casuals, what about people change jobs? It's like the modern adult changes like jobs about 10 times in their, their life now. They're, it's so much higher than it used to be. So what if someone got a job in, a new job in August, transferred to a new role in August, full-time work is now unable to work from home, unable to get hours or getting significantly reduced hours? Once again, they make an announcement that sounds like they're going to be saving jobs, but they put in all these stupid caveats that effectively mean that that's a... Well, it'll help some people, but other people will just miss out. It'll, say, reduce some unemployment, but not protect other unemployment. Yeah. Um, and on purely arbitrary... I mean, they might as well just go, um, you know, the payment applies if you, if, as long as you were born on an even day of the month. Like, it's just... Oh. If, you, if you want to save money by putting Sweet, arbitrary I'd restrictions on... Well, I wouldn't. I'd be stuffed. Bugger it. Okay, well... <laughs> Did you see that Peru's doing a thing where uh, they're limiting the... So you can go out on some days if you're a male and some days if you're female. Um, I th- suspect that Peru is not very um, understanding of trans people and non-binary people, but um, the idea of the, they're separating... So and so on the days that only women can go out, there have been some benefits that, that, that women are like, yes, no. Do you remember, I think there was something about well, in that, Australia about like... If Scott you want, Morrison like, actually said that one of the reasons it was two people, so women would always have someone, could always go out with someone else. Whereas I suspect so that women would, be, would feel be much happier safe. if there were no men around whatsoever. Yeah. They don't want a guardian man. They shouldn't do men. It's like, oh, it's so generous of you to acknowledge that as a woman, I am unsafe in this community and I need to have another person with me if, I, if I'm walking somewhere or doing exercise. But wouldn't it be great if that just weren't the case? Hmm. Um, talking of the obviously there's been a, a, an upsurge in family violence the, this is another point at which some of their cost cutting in terms of the domestic violence refuges oh. and so forth is coming home to bite that there isn't enough capacity and as we talked with I, had, I chatted with Aaron about this last week the whole idea that the problems we're facing so obviously virus would be a challenge, challenging under any system mm-hmm. but a big part of the problems that we're facing as countries that have wealth and should have had the capacity over the last, you know, half a century, to build up buffers, mm-hmm. have specifically spent the last 20, 30 years doing the reverse. Because that's what neoliberalism is, the whole yes. point of it. Economic efficiency, economic rationalism, the idea is you grind, you save money by grinding out the inefficiencies in the system, which 
excess capacity is. If you're not using that capacity, it's inefficient. Well, so you remove all that buffer. And that's what's happening, for example, with a lot of the universities and colleges. A lot of the universities are having issues because their federal funding has been cut, 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 cut. They are now having a situation where um, they need to take international students on in order to pay for their fees. And suddenly they're not having international students and they don't have enough money to even keep the university running. Yeah, and what's that? Ma Morrison telling everybody, if you're international students and visit Australia, go away, go home. Unless you're on a backpacker's visa and can be picking fruit. Yeah, that there's oh, so many things about the, the picking fruit thing there. And I, I was really infuriated to see the ABC run a thing about how suddenly there's all these, this well, uptick in people wanting those jobs. You're like, yeah, there'd also be an uptick in those jobs if you paid them decent wages. Yes, it's it's really interesting because there was a ABC report the other night about how people are applying for these uh, farmers' jobs and come apply for us. It'll be absolutely great. And you know, you see these guys picking cauliflowers, chopping off the ex excess leaves with uh, machetes, throwing them up, and you just think that is backbreaking manual work. It's this constant yes. bending up and down. The pay is shit yeah. which is but why it's like backpackers and, and apparently, we depend on backpackers so that we can underpay them except apparently there's been this huge massive upswing in people wanting the jobs because they need jobs except now they're extending the temporary visas because the only people they can get to get these jobs and michael mccormick is like we can't afford to see fruit rotting on trees and vines and vegetables left on pick it is vital our farmers maximize their hard work and economic returns we are acting to enable... Their hard work, mm, by, as in to enable maximize the hard work of the workers they yes. underpay. We are acting to enable seasonal workers to extend their stay and remain lawfully in Australia until they're able to return to their home countries. Yeah, do the work here cheaply and then fuck off. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. So they're going to um, work out extending the Pacific uh, Agreement to have well, people who are here on that, to extend backpackers, to expand anyone who's working here for farming. It's weird how the free market doesn't seem to have a solution to that situation. Like, isn't the solution to... We have work that we need to get done but we can't get workers to do it isn't this free market mechanism the price mechanism supposed to be cool their labor is obviously more valuable than you're paying them so you should be paying them more yeah it's, it's funny that that solution of paying them decent wages doesn't it's like no 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 okay so obviously we need to break other parts of the system so that we can continue underpaying people yeah we need to we, we need to have workers who um, can be underpaid because they don't have any choice. Yeah. Same with all the workers who are exploited on, the, on those cruise ships who are now stuck well, out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And But it's a similar, like, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, had tweeted the other day, you know, the, the people stocking the shelves of grocery stores, the people doing this, they were never unskilled workers. They were never unessential workers. Yeah, well, well, they've always been so. essential, they've always been necessary, and now you're seeing how necessary these jobs are. Well, I think there's that American right-wing commentator, Lauren Ingraham, yeah. Evie is highly amused by that. Um, but Ingraham was like, you know, these people out there stocking the shelves, they're, you know, they're vital sort of people, whilst also being a person who'd been campaigning against them having the minimum wage. Increased. <laughs> like having yeah. like $15 an hour. Yeah. And like, okay, they're essential, but they're not, des yeah, they're not deserving of $15 an hour. The whole idea that the people, that, they, that, that there are unskilled workers who don't deserve a living wage. But it's... Is it like... Do these tasks need doing or not? Yeah, they do. Therefore, you need to have people doing them. It's not a matter of being like, well, you individual... It's the classic thing, isn't it? That It's like, um, if a person can get out, then it doesn't matter what we do to the other people because they could have clambered out. But they yeah. only clamber out by somebody else... Like, they have to clamber on somebody to climb yeah, out Yeah, like, it's, it's, not, it's not actually proper. they're pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Somebody's um, doing that work. Yeah. If it's not me anymore, it's still somebody else. Yeah. And somebody else is being exploited. It's interesting because... Another facet of that same thing is, for example, the clapping for the NHS workers. Yeah. It's like, so the very conservative, horrible government in the UK, which all gave themselves a huge round of applause after they, you know, cut the pay and cut the funding to the NHS re recently, are now sitting there going, oh, yeah. You know, clap for the NHS workers. Don't. Don't clap for the NHS workers. Don't freaking vote for the Tories. Well, that's the NHS yeah, work as well, but don't pretend that that makes yes. up for... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's more what I mean. Deal with the systemic issues and don't just put this, you know, veneer over it of we support you and we love you and we think you're great. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> In terms of uh, limitations where where the system is not looking after those workers, vital... Front and this, this even extends to medical workers and things, frontline workers now who essentially need to be out there but need somewhere else to reside so they're not exposing their families, which in and of itself is a huge sacrifice. But we're expecting them to also pay for it. That is really stuck in Erin's craw. This is Erin Riley, who was on uh, the other week. Can I tell you what's stuck in my craw? 
It's the fact that we are not providing paid alternative accommodation for our frontline medical workers during COVID-19. These are the people who are putting their own lives on the line for us every day. And I'm not just talking about doctors, I'm talking about nurses, ward clerks, admin people who work in the emergency room, paramedics, even cleaners, all sorts of people who work in medicine without necessarily being a doctor. These aren't people who are necessarily on very high wages. All of the above plus um, medical students tend to be on average to, to low wages. And yet we're expecting them to pick up the bill for a second set of rent so that they can safely isolate away from their families. This is just unconscionable. We are already asking so much of them. This is the least we could do to prevent them from being financially penalised for making the decisions they need to make to keep their families safe. I can't believe this hasn't been sorted out yet. It needs to be, as an absolute matter of urgency. We need to ensure that every single medical worker who needs to isolate from their family has the capacity to do so. And we need that yesterday. I absolutely agree. I book hotels for work or I organize relocating people sometimes in in my professional life. And looking at, for example, the Quest website, they have this thing where they're like, hey, are you a healthcare worker? We come stay here. We'll do long term things for you. But it shouldn't be up to the healthcare workers. It shouldn't be up they to the healthcare workers. They should have to pay for, additionally for it. Exactly. You know? Like that should be in the same way that the government is saying, we'll quarantine you for 14 days when you come back from overseas. They should be saying, we have booked out two floors of this Quest hotel. So you're. Or we'll just subsidise you. You book or, We'll subsidise work for healthcare yeah. workers who are, or frontline workers, yep. who are therefore having to stay away from. But again, the government's not doing that because, yeah. like, like with the, you know, delaying the payments for increase for Centrelink, like yep. the only having JobKeeper with these weird limitations on, like all of their things, which are designed to be like, oh, we've got to stop the spending somehow. And but they're, it's all, they're always in ways that aren't. They're not ways that are increasing efficiency and reducing waste. They're in ways that just punish some people arbitrarily. Yep. And this, in this case, that's money they need to find because yes. the alternative is more people being exposed yes. and and for, or frontline workers going, it's not worth, I can't afford it and it's not worth it to my family. Yeah. But it's also, the government is obviously conscious because this is a government that has been prioritising their bonkers surplus. Um, yes. And obviously that's gone to hell, uh, which I'm sure that they're secretly very grateful for because they were never going to make it. No, they really The weren't. surplus they were definitely going to achieve in the future was never going to happen. Um, but they claim them, you know, we have achieved it in the future. <laughs> on, on these projections that were wrong. But anyway, we, 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 dealt, with, we dealt with Frydenberg being, being held to task. Yeah. But in terms of things that would help start paying for it, so when we're looking at it and being like, okay, so what are we, how are we reprioritizing things so that mm-hmm. we've provided these services now, which are all the ones that you said we could never do. Yeah. Like Obviously, there are other things that are going to either have to, they're going to have to go. We're going to have to increase revenue cut and then cut some types of spending. Yeah. So um, if you're not going to be, you know, we should, certainly shouldn't be cutting. Maybe this is the point at which we've noticed that, that public services like health and, and social security things are vital. So what are you going to do to start funding it? And it's been very disappointing to see, but completely on on um, in, uh, on brand for them to do it. But Scummo has said that he's not going to be review. They, they've refused to even review. They've ruled out even reviewing the franking cash um, rot, the six billion dollars a year we give to people. You got shares? Here's some cash from the government. Not going to review that. And the tiers of the, the you know the tax cuts mm-hmm. that they passed, where those higher tiers for just entirely for rich people, yeah. they're saying that they'll they're not being reviewed either. So things that clearly are not affordable. Yeah. Things that don't help the economy, don't help people. Even economic advisors to the government think that these things should be reined in. Yeah. But because they're the main reason they're there, to give money to rich people like them, that's why these people ran for parliament in the first place. Those are are higher principles than anything else, which begs the question of what are they going to do? Are the rest of us going to be paying more taxes to cover the taxes that are coming out from the rich, that have been Mm. cut from the rich? Uh, the rest of it's going to be paying more taxes to cover the addition, the, the six billion dollars in growing that goes on the franking credits. Well, actually, Maybe. Right. it might. It, it, the franking credits might. Sorry, it's the cash part, not the credits. The the, the cash payout part, which is which was in in um, dispute. 
to be fair, the, the, the dividends might be down this year. Yeah, you think? Do you remember the old days when we had super? Anyway, yeah. so yeah, that, that, may, that, okay. actually may, that, that may not bring in as much revenue this year anyway now. But yeah, where is the government going to, when it comes around to it, where are they going to start grinding to get that cash back? And, it, you know, my suspicion is the poor because that's you know entirely what they do every time. But it's interesting. I think they're putting in a few things and a few measures for like this, like free childcare, subsidized childcare, things like that. that, that when They're going to want to claw them back. Absolutely. But I think people are going to be really pissed off when they do. And it'll be interesting That's why they're to trying see. to do it in a shorter time. They want to review it in a month. They're trying to do it very short term things oh, because well, they do not want it to be established. Months. Oh, okay. They don't want it to be. They they're said, desperate they said that, for these things. You know, they said they said they expect the free childcare to last for a minimum of six months, but they're going to review it in three. Okay. Um, but interestingly, I think that's one of the reasons they've been having such a hard time coming to an agreement about rent. So not commercial re- commercial tenancies, but residential tendencies and what to do about residential yeah, tenancies. Saying there's, there's an eviction moratorium doesn't help if you're going to be like six months from now. Cool, the eviction moratorium is off now. Find seven months rent. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. So for the commercial tenancies, they put in um, a bunch of things like they can't ask for a bond. They can't ask for interest on the rent that's not paid. Um, They can't like, so there's a whole bunch of things that they can't do for the commercial, but I'm waiting to see what they come out with residential tendencies. Except the things that I'm worried about is he says things like, oh, we don't want to be prescriptive about arrangements. Cool. We want to just leave it to the jungle as in... The landlord's coming back and kicking out people with it. Well, because he's also uh, responded to... He doesn't want people out on the street during the pandemic because they'll spread it. But once the pandemic's over, fuck off out onto the street. But he's also... also, uh, There's been reports in Queensland that renters have been going to the Queensland Administrative Tribunal because their landlords say the eviction moratorium isn't law. And Morrison's been telling landlords to do the right thing because we're all in this together. Okay, I'm not going to read out a long list of the horrific things that landlords have been doing recently, but you have seen that they've been sending out demands that people give them details about their personal spending, about their super. They've been telling them they need to get their super out to pay it to the point where ASIC has had to come back and say, no, that's giving people financial advice and you can't do that. Yes, and also you can only get your super out even with the extended circumstances that you can get your super out. There's still, like limitations on that also don't do it no it's it's a, the idea that Remember landlords are like no 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 super? no. my investment my financial wealth is, is you know you should be uh, grinding yourself into penury in in, in retirement just so oh. that we can keep our profits like the, the even even if they're, they're having mortgage moratoriums and things and they're, not having yeah. to pay, and they're being able to make arrangements with their bank so they're not paying that this is, but that's the whole problem when you fill a housing are... market with speculative investors. They're not there to provide a service where housing should be a service. Mm. But th- they don't think of it as a service. They think of it as a wealth creation vehicle. And, and therefore, some... you're not making them wealth. They want you out. And for some reason, this one mythical landlord who is a senior and a pensioner and only has this one investment property always gets brought up. Like, how could you make them suffer? They have no income. Well, as you say, they have the pension. But also, like... I feel that this I feel that this mythical landlord you're speaking of doesn't actually exist. Well, I'm sure that there are people, retired people, who yeah, but, who who, yes. who own property. Yes, they but, they are natively they don't even need to negatively it. They own real estate. They're renting it out and getting that income. Uh, they're doing it through trust or something so they can somehow still get the pension. Yeah. But this and they're living quite comfortably. But on it. And the they're thing, like, like, but if they don't get that extra money, they'll just have to live on the pension like not, pensioners. But that's not everyone, and that's not one hundred percent of landlords. A lot of people. It's not uh, even people, a substantial. It also, not I'm not sympathetic to those people. No, they, but it's also not a not a majority of them in any way because if you, hang on, if you own, have a pension and you own your house. Yeah. You're quite comfortable. Yeah. You know, you're well ahead of the people who get the, who only get the pension and have to pay rent. Oh, God, yeah. So, you know, if you own a house and are still getting a pension, be grateful. Yes. Don't anyway. squeeze people to death. Oh, but have you also seen the ones who are like, but I'm, uh, but I, I'm renting out a property, but I'm also living in a rented property, and it's very unfair if I don't get my rent from my tenants because then how do I pay my rent? And they're like, if there's a rent moratorium... Then they, you don't have to pay it either. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Okay. Earlier we talked about the you know three fundamental characteristics of Scummo being that are really problems right now. One being he uh, is hostile to it and and, and um, antagonistic about being asked to define what he's talking about, like the essential uh, workers or essential goods things. Uh, he's very quick to evade 
Uh, very do- he's untrustworthy about the small things. He lies about the small things, like the Hawaii thing. But it means that even things like the Ruby Princess, you, you can't trust what the, mm-hmm. uh, what they're telling you. And then in terms of when they actually do announce, the third thing being that um, there's always nasty stings in the tails to anything that he does that sounds positive. But those, So those are sort of some fundamentalist characteristics of Scummo. Except there's one other fundamentalist characteristic about Scummo. Yeah, it's a little bit disturbing, the religious thing. that I'm not having... People can have religious beliefs and feelings. I do feel that the demand that the rest of us respect them isn't really a demand for us to leave them be. It's usually a demand for us to elevate them and treat them as if they are yeah. they are better than our own values. It's, it's the respect that he's demanded is one of, we're right and you should respect that. Yeah. So Scummo is still doing, and this the relevance of this bit, so it was a, a, this was a prayer meeting he did with a group of people, a group of pretty much right-wing Christian people, including the Canberra Declaration Group, which are the people who are opposed to marriage equality and they want uh, you know, restrictions on LGBTI people and they want oh, to be able to sack them from schools and they want... Uh, more control over women's bodies, that sort of thing. No, because they and, don't have enough already. And it sort of got leaked to uh, YouTube. They put it up on YouTube before realising that this had been embarrassing to the Prime Minister and took it down again. But one element of that really bothers me, um, and particularly in this time when we kind of need somebody who's being level-handed and looking at this as a... I don't, you don't want a, a leader who's like, um, you know, this is all happening because God wills it. Mm. Uh, and we're not quite at the American level. You know, Scummer hasn't come out and blamed it on, on things that he religiously disagrees with. As a part, um, no. Uh, but, you know, there is a big part of this speech. I'm not going to play the whole thing. There's a big part of this thing which sounds a lot like Danny and Elia standing up from on you know, Mount Ainsley in Canberra and trying to exercise the demons oh. that beset the land. Like, there's a whole lot of stuff that's in, in, in his prayer, which is a bit worrying. But the bit on play is the bit where he tries to pretend that he can dedicate us all to God. Mm. But Australia is a nation. Uh, this is the remark. Heavenly Father, we just commit our nation to you in this terrible time of great need and suffering of so many people. So yeah, I did think that was a bit disturbing and a bit on the nose, and I can understand why Morrison didn't particularly want the rest of us seeing that he was doing that from the Prime Minister's office. But the other thing that happened from the Prime Minister's office uh, in the last decade or so was one inhabitant of that office Kevin Rudd, set out to build Australia a fibre-optic national broadband network. A national broadband network that would bring us to the level of, of many of the leading nations in the world that would allow us to work remotely, to work from home. Oh, it would be awesome, wouldn't it? It would have been pretty good, particularly at the moment, where, because a big part of the difference between that and what Malcolm Turnbull then came and turned it into, a big part of the difference is that uh, the fibre-optic network would have been in both directions. It would have been a network where you could do a lot more voice communication, mm. video communication up and down, not just download speeds, not just... I know that Rupert Murdoch was worried that it would be a threat to... The streaming service would be a threat to Foxtel, and that's why the uh, Liberals kept on talking about the NBN as if it was just about downloading and streaming video and all this. Yep. They kept on making speeches about it. You know, you know it's, you'll be able to still stream and download certain things at a time, you know, yeah. a certain number of things in a house. Although, of course, yeah, we're being told that uh, actually no, the NBN can't handle that. Um, and and uh, Netflix and, and so forth are being asked to, I don't think Foxtel, but are being asked to wind it, wind it back. But the whole point of that, the proper NBN, would, would have been that it would have been more than just a video download service. You would have been able to do better yeah. telehealth. And that was one of the big applications that was described for. Yes. You've been able to uh, decentralise a lot better. And yeah, all of these Zoom conferences that are happening at the moment would have worked a lot better under the fibre optic network. Now, uh, Kevin Rudd had a letter, I, I reckon this is the odds, but it may, maybe it was one of the Fairfax papers, tweet, basically describing the situation and uh, getting a bit outraged at one of the, the journals from that, that uh, paper, which is why I think it's the odds, claiming that uh, that, it, that the NBN wasn't sabotaged to protect Murdoch and, and Foxtel because Netflix didn't launch here until 2015. Like, people couldn't anticipate before Netflix. Like, Netflix wasn't a thing until it launched no. in Australia, was it? No. <laughs> anyway, so Rudd points out, no, in the Financial Review, in his own uh, papers and so forth, they were producing plenty of material long before that saying that, that News Corp was worried about the effect of streaming, including uh, by 2013 when it had formally warned the New York Stock Exchange that, quote, enhanced internet capabilities and other new media were directly affecting its revenues. So, like, clearly they had an incentive. And then he also claimed, uh, responding to the claim that the, uh, the, the ALP had understated the NBN's costs. And the basis on which they make that claim is that they uh, refer to the 
Liberals handpicked panel that had uh, Henry Ogus from the Australian, like Murdoch columnist, Kevin Morgan, who's a, 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 been opposed to the NBN from the beginning, and two former Liberal staffers. So, like, that was the panel that's like, no, yeah. Labor has stuffed up the, cal- the calculations. So, not the uh, not the Department of Communications or, or, or Infrastructure Australia or something like that. Anyway, so. Right, he's like, no, our NBN was going to be a proper a proper NBN. It would have been very helpful right now. To which Turnbull responds, if, if Labor's plan had continued, half of Australia would still be on ADSL. Thanks to our plan, the NBN is almost finished. Over 90% can get 50 megabits per second and almost all can get 25 megabits per second. Bullshit! But the key point is this. Our approach to NBN meant millions more Australians got high-speed broadband sooner and cheaper than would have happened under Labor. Streaming, which is what, was, what smashed the pay TV business, became available to more Australians sooner. Now... That is nonsense, and every every element of that. So you know how the whole thing of something can be done faster, cheaper, hmm. or better. Uh, you pick two. You can't do all three. It but, is. It's actually sort of the yeah. It's the quality triangle. We use it in project management a lot. But in the case of what Malcolm managed, he managed to do to hit none of them. Yeah. Like two out of three is supposed to be you know the, the, what you can aim for. <laughs> it's what you can really achieve. But naught out of three. So it was slower than it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, it was more expensive and it's shittier. And all in ways that everybody who was an expert in the area before Malcolm came along and screwed it up was saying, like when he was proposing mm. to do it, it was always clear that if you look, if you pretend that the start of the fiber optic network is the cost it's going to be all the way through the project, yeah. then sure, it would have been very expensive and lasted forever. But of course, the whole point of having something that's standard is that the costs dramatically reduce. And it goes much faster. Yes, at the beginning when you're ramping it up, yeah. it's slower and more expensive. And then because it's all the same technology, it's Maintenance much... costs are lower. Main, uh, well, also the building yeah. is cheaper. Like yeah. once you've got the, the system in place, yeah. the, if, if you're only doing it over the short, the, you know, the start, yeah, that's more expensive. But once once you... Then it, that those costs don't... It doesn't continue at that rate. Anyway, whereas if you do it the way Malcolm did it, yeah, okay, it's slightly cheaper to do a half-assed job at the beginning, but it then ends up being much more expensive than if you'd done it properly. Yeah. Um, and much the, when they when they changed it, it actually became like a weird uh, hodgepodge of technologies. Yeah, so the, well, the multi-technology so, mix, that's the, that's the thing. So that's, every time, like every time there's an installation, it has to be rescoped every time. Like like the, there's a whole bunch of different yeah. things. That so it seems like, cheaper at first because you weren't, you weren't installing the same cabling. Yeah. Um, you were using stuff that was already there, so it seemed cheaper. But that didn't last because the benefits that were then going to be done, were obtained from doing it properly yeah. um, fell apart. And then you ended up having a network that was much more complicated because it was involving a bunch of different technologies. Mm. All stuff which Malcolm was told. But his gig was to destroy the NBN and so that he did. Yep. So that's great. Anyway, look, let's let's end with something less depressing. Let's end with this uh, announcement by the West Australian Premier. Now... Oh, didn't we didn't even talk about the fact that West Australia is basically separating itself off from the rest of the country. Yeah. And Alexander Downer made it. I can't believe I'm going to say these words. Alexander Downer tweeted something yesterday that might not be hideously wrong. What the hell am I saying? Who are you? <laughs> How can Alexander say something that's not hideously wrong? No, he did refer to Section 117 of the Constitution, which is that you can't treat the resident of one state um, in a way that's different from if they were resident of, of mm. another state. Yeah. Um, and, and West Australia going, <laughs> you can't come in. I think West well, Queensland's doing the same, and where only residents and permit holders are allowed to go in, and Tasmania's tried to do something similar. So, so. arguably that's not constitutional, and those yeah. laws don't actually, you can't do them, because the constitution is pretty clear that you can't distinguish between people from, depending on what state they're from. Like, there's a whole point of one of the big parts of federation. Yeah. We're Australians, we're not Queenslanders. Or, anyway. Yeah. So whether or not that's how that's, Dana might be right. Now, obviously, there's a reason why you want to separate people's movement. Yeah. But um, probably doing it on state boundaries is a bit of a problem. But anyway. That, However, there is one very important announcement about people crossing state, state boundaries, and the Western Australian Premier has made it clear for us. Not so much people. Hello, boys and girls. You might not know me, but my name is Mark McGowan and I'm the Premier of Western Australia. You've probably noticed that some things have been different for the past few weeks. It won't be like this forever. But at the moment, it is hard for people to travel around. So I have a very special update. I recently received an email from Taylor. Taylor is nine years old and she's from Thornley. Taylor was worried that because of the new rules about travel, the Easter Bunny would not be able to get to Western Australia this year. Well, Taylor, I have some very important news to share with you and all WA kids. 
We've been working really hard, and I am very happy to announce I've just signed a special exemption for the Easter Bunny. This means the Easter Bunny can still come to WA and visit all our families and friends next weekend. Okay, that's kind of cute. I'll, I'll pay that. Yeah. I mean, he has now made... Okay, uh, any children in the room? Uh, take me out for a second. But he's kind of now put the pressure back on the parents who've now got to go out of the house and get, get chocolate. Exactly. So the next time you go out to get, like, milk and vegetables and nappies and things, get some chocolate. Well, I, I, I suppose the only, the, the only reason... That would only change things for parents who are going to be like, sorry, the Easter Bunny got stuck at the border. We should pretty shit parents. So fair enough that... You know, they were probably already going to be an essential thing. But, yeah, no, it's cute. I'll, I'll pay that. Yeah. And I like, I think that, yeah, no, effectively, apart from the fact that the parents have to go to the supermarket, but effectively the Easter Bunny generates itself in each house. Exactly. <laughs> Doesn't need to... Tra travels between... It. That's cute. Yeah. All right. Um, thank you for coming back. You know, obviously with, with children in the home, it has been a bit, a bit harder getting... Uh, it's also been this weird situation of the news is... Very one-faceted and constantly changing. So it's every hard time... to want to do another pod, do a podcast where we talk about the freaking virus and what's happening. Yeah. But there isn't anything else that's happening in Australian politics. Like everything else has been well, shut off. Queensland signed election. Oh my god! That they made people. They do let people do that. That's bonkers. They're so. Oh my goodness. Anyway, the, the cycle moves fast. Because you have, an, you have an, a new guest scheduled for next week. I do have a new guest scheduled for next week. A returning guest, but but a guest that I'm, I'm sure everybody who listens to the podcast will very much enjoy hearing from again. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, won't, I won't announce who it is. Oh, no spoilers. No, no, we can do the sizzle, we can do the sizzle after I've recorded it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the sizzle reel. Yeah, no, we have the sizzle. You got to sizzle your podcast, but it's a. Well, I'm, I'm sizzling broadly now. Okay. But good, good, good guess you'll enjoy. I guess good, good guess you enjoy. And uh, yeah, so whatever your situation now, stuck at home, whether you're at the the pinnacle of the home environments for being stuck at home in quarantine, you're there with your partner. No kids, just your partner at home. But the pinnacle, if you're in that situation, down to if you're in a situation where you're stuck with a, not a nice partner or um, with housemates you don't like yeah. or by yourself, that's much tougher. Or with multiple children. Or if you're in the middle and you're at home with with a loved oh. family and children who are loved family. But also going a bit stir-crazy. Yeah. So, you know, whatever your situation in this broad, broad spectrum... Unless you're one of the people who's in the uh, two-week enforced quarantine with the absolute zero self-awareness going on the news, going, I'm being forced to stay in a hotel room for two weeks after flying in here from overseas, unless you're one of those people, and then I hope you don't fair, enjoy your time. No, to be fair, that would be pretty, that would be pretty rough, and the fact that, you know, you can't even open the window, like, they're like oh, that would be, I, I would, you, that would be, you get a bit close, the thing that is infuriating about that is that if you are in that situation, and it is a rough situation, the lack of awareness like if you go on the news and you're not saying i am conscious that australia has been doing far worse than this to refugees and asylum seekers i i am i am lucky compared with them yes and, and if, yet, you're not, if you're not sitting there saying yeah and if you're not sitting there saying yes i'm stuck in this hotel room for two weeks but i've been given care package from my family and i have internet and all the devices i want and i'm getting my meals delivered to me which are actually you know nice rather than well, maybe that. Yeah, well, yeah. it's but, but yes, it, it's the lack there of is self awareness. Yeah, the, the, you should put it probably when when it's border force doing it too. You should probably put it in context with the other things the border force does. Yeah. Anyway, even those people, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers for keeping the podcast going. We will keep coming back. We we not we haven't gone anywhere. We it's just been trying to find a way of doing a podcast that isn't just one hundred percent depressing yeah. and just on the same topic which is why we've sort of been a little bit slower this, this week. Yeah. But there is a new one that's going to be recorded on Thursday because that's that's lined up. So there will be another one shortly. Hope you're all doing as well as possible. Uh, stay safe. Stay away from... Um, <laughs> stay away from everyone else. Stay home and listen we'll to the podcast. We'll talk to you soon. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, thank you to Robin Gray for the music, Alex Lund for the artwork, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.